I hope you're enjoying my new book, Soul Care. And I want to encourage you to think about getting your own physical copy. I don't keep many books anymore, but the ones that I do, I really enjoy. They're ones that spoke to my heart. I go through them and I underline things to either remember later or to pray about. At the end of every chapter, I have some questions. They're either for your own private reflection or, if you'd like, to discuss them with other people. Request your copy of Soul Care, Nurturing Your Spiritual Wellness, when you give to our $155,000 challenge grant. This month, your gift goes twice as far. Give today by visiting us at timeofgrace.org or writing us at P.O. Box 301, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53201. And now, Chapter 6. Attitude is everything, and gratitude will carry you. In the self-care world, Martha's sister Mary might have canceled Martha for speaking against her to Jesus. I'll give you a second to mentally imagine Mary slipping her phone out of her pocket ever so discreetly to block her sister. Lots of good it would do as they lived in the same house, but that's neither here nor there. One self-care list advised to unfollow the people who bring you down. Thankfully, that's not God's way, or my list of friends would be small, because of me, not them. Paul's advice was just the opposite. He said to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Ephesians 4, verse 32. God's forgiveness is complete and without limit. Total forgiveness for every sin. God doesn't hold grudges or only forgive on Wednesdays before noon. Jesus shed his blood, and as he breathed his last, he said, It is finished. Every sin we ever commit is paid in full. That's the way Paul tells us to forgive one another. When Jesus came to Martha's house, Martha made two critical errors. The first was not keeping Jesus first. The second was being critical. A critical spirit is not a spiritual gift. In fact, it's just the opposite. A critical spirit will tear down and divide. We are to encourage one another and build each other up. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11. Martha expected Mary to help, and when Mary failed to do so, Martha hit the roof. We play a dangerous game when we set our expectations and our attitudes according to the behavior of people, even those closest to us. It can seriously affect our faith walk or be a contributor to us losing faith altogether if the people of God don't act according to our expectations. In Genesis chapter 6, Moses recorded, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. Verses 5 and 6. Every and all are convincing and convicting. Every inclination all the time. If you're old enough to read this book, you know that people let you down. Christians let you down. Your parents, sisters, brother, children, spouse let you down. Your pastor or women's Bible study leader have let you down. If you know me, I guarantee I've let you down. 
If we put our hope in people, we will be let down. If we put our hope in God, we will not. Unless, of course, we are expecting him to be our genie. Even the disciples were disappointed in Jesus because they hoped he would be their political savior. Once they understood the truth, that he was their spiritual savior and an ever-present source of strength during this often weary life on earth, their expectations changed. They rejoiced in suffering because it was proof that they were in the fight. God's people will always be at odds with this sin-sick world. They came to understand that God never leaves or forsakes us, but that doesn't mean he gives us everything we want. And they understood that the pain and sadness of this life are fleeting in contrast to the glories of heaven. Those truths are a fundamental shift in expectations, an important shift for us to understand if we're not going to fall into despair or turn away from God if he doesn't deliver according to our expectations. As for expecting something from others, we can communicate our expectations and we can teach and train but we can't force behavior. Jesus didn't either. The rich young man declined Jesus' invitation to follow him. Matthew 19, verses 16 to 30. Many disciples turned away when Jesus' teachings got hard. John 6, verses 60 to 66. Peter denied knowing Jesus, even after Jesus warned him that Satan was going to attack. Luke 22, verse 31, and Matthew 26, verses 69 to 75. If these people turned away from Jesus and or didn't listen and modify their behavior, chances are that we aren't going to fare much better. If our attitudes are based on our expectations of people making the choices we want them to make, we will be disappointed. Instead, we learn to put our desires in the capable hands of God, remembering he doesn't answer prayer according to our whims. He answers them in the best way possible. And when we have entrusted our loved ones to God's care, we can go about our day with joyful hearts. I know how difficult this can be. When one of my children decides to go their own way, it's hard not to let it affect my attitude. When the demands of the day exceed my ability to accomplish them, I easily become frazzled and frustrated. Self-care ideology tells us to get it together and change the focus. You let your bad days affect you too much. You don't let the good days affect you enough. Fix that, says one quote. The question then is, how? What do I do to fix my attitude? It is possible to maintain joy when things are falling apart, but I don't know how to do that without bringing God into the equation. When things get crazy, I turn to worship. The reformer Martin Luther said, Come, let us sing a psalm and chase away the devil. I find that works pretty well, whether or not the song I'm singing is a psalm. When my children were little, I often sang the created me. It's taken from Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12. It says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Only God can replace my disgruntled spirit with joy. He can help me remember my identity on the basis of my salvation and citizenship in heaven. 
He miraculously and mercifully upholds me when things are falling apart. For six months or so, I worked the evening shift at a nursing home. For several months, one resident in particular was exceptionally difficult. When I changed his clothes to put him in bed, he would spit and kick and punch. It only took a couple nights for me to turn to worship. The go-to song in my head was an old hymn. All praise to thee, my God, this night for all the blessings of the light. Keep me, O oh, keep me, King of Kings, beneath thy own almighty wings. Forgive me, Lord, for thy dear Son, the ill that I this day have done, that with the world, myself, and thee, I err, I sleep, at peace may be. It didn't change the resident's behavior, but it changed my attitude. I could concentrate on the blessings and ask for protection and forgiveness and peace. After six months, I started working the day shift and was trained to give baths. I spent the day in a little room under a heat lamp, running hot water in a tub, bathing the residents and clipping their toenails. It was the highlight of some of the residents' week. But there were others who hated baths. They were cold and liked to be messed with, grumbled, and no matter what I did. They complained that I was doing everything wrong. As soon as the water was running and was loud enough to muffle my song, I would sing the words to Make Me a Servant, a song we taught the Sunday school kids at church. It speaks of being humble and caring for the weak. Nothing about the situation would change, but God would keep my heart from becoming hard, resentful, and bitter. The focus was no longer about the people around me and how they were acting. I merely asked for a humble, serving heart, no matter what I faced. Worship is a powerful tool. So is gratitude. Aesop said, gratitude turns what we have into enough. Most of us get this wrong. We think that when everything is as it should be, then we'll be grateful. In truth, joy is a byproduct of gratitude. Remember Paul's words? I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Philippians 4, verses 11 and 12. The circumstances didn't touch Paul because he had already learned to be content, If there was food, he was grateful. If not, still grateful. If he was a free man, he'd use his life to go city to city telling people about Christ. If not, he'd talk to the guards about Christ and write letters and sing sing songs of praise to minister to other prisoners. We, too, experience joy when we are thankful. If you're intentional, you'll find endless reasons to give thanks. There's the shelter you enjoy, the food in your cupboard, the family you love. If you have a church home and people who teach God's word and forgiveness, if you know you have salvation and that you did nothing to attain it, you are blessed. If you can see past the pain to remember your home in heaven, you can endure. If you notice cheerful flowers and running water and feet that work and communication and garages and friends, you will realize how good you have it. The more you look, the more you'll see. In his song, Falling in Love, Phil Wickham says that the more he praises God, the more he wants to. That's how it is with worship and gratitude. 
They produce the joy we long to have regardless of the circumstances. And they testify to others and Satan and God that we know God is still on the throne. When Job from the Bible lost everything, he fell down in worship. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job 1 verse 21. Our storms don't catch God off guard. The book of Job shows us that nothing comes into our lives that doesn't first pass through the hands of God. Satan could only do what God permitted him to do, and God's watchful eye never left Job. Our limited view and understanding means we rarely see the big picture. For that reason, we don't have to fret when chaos or craziness makes its way into our lives. Like Job, we can worship, declare God is good, and wait for God to deliver us to a different set of circumstances.